Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Haunted Collection with your host, writer, paranormal investigator, and haunted collector, Kevin Kane, returning once again with some of my favorite scary horror stories, ghostly shenanigans, and creepy crawlies in the nights. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have not yet, please be sure to check out my website, myhaunteddolls.com, www.myhaunteddolls.com, where all of my books are available for purchase. You can get an autographed copy there. You can also find my books on Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes and Noble, online. And also a few of them, uh, of course, they're on Kindle as well, but a few of them are also on audiobook, including my last novel, my most recent novel called Crimson, the Blood Painting, a creepy story about a haunted painting from Salem, Massachusetts, an actual painting that I have in my collection, and the story was just so creepy I had to make a novel based on it. You can get that in paperback, ebook, or try the audiobook performed by Lynn R. Thomas, wonderful voice actress. And watch out for my upcoming book. If you enjoyed the book, My Haunted Collection, the book that tells about some of my haunted items, be sure to check out my sequel, which will be coming out soon, called My Haunted Collection, The Dark Side which tells stories about some of the darker items and their horrible stories that go along with them. So be sure to check that out. Hopefully it will be released soon, maybe by Christmas or at least in the new year. And now let's get down to business with some nice creepy stories. The first story here, even though we're in the fall and it's almost Thanksgiving, it's still not too late to share a nice campfire story because we can still have campfires in the fall when it's chilly. So let me go ahead and share this one with you. It's called Jack of Hearts. There was a girl named Mila whose parents were sending her away to summer camp. She had heard vague rumors from the other kids at school about strange things that went on at the camp. She pleaded with her parents to let her stay at home for the summer, but they forced her to go. You're twelve years old now, Mia, her father said sternly. You need to get over this kind of nonsense and act like an adult. When Mila arrived at the camp, she was shocked to find it in such dilapidated state. The wooden cabins were infested with termites. The bunk beds were lumpy and uncomfortable. The bed sheets smelled revolting, and the mattresses were covered with big, yellow stains. There was only one toilet in the whole camp, and it was outdoors. It was little more than a wooden hut with several stalls inside. They looked like they hadn't been cleaned in months and months and the stench was atrocious. Worst of all, the odor of each stall had a hole in it. The door of each stall had a hole in it, 
cut in the shape of a heart. You had to stuff the hole with toilet paper every time you went to the bathroom or else the other kids would be able to peek in and watch you use the bathroom. Despite the deplorable conditions, Myla managed to make friends with a few other girls. Late one night, after lights out, Myla and her friend, Vetlana, went out to the toilet. Myla decided to wait outside for her friend to finish. She strolled around listening to the wind blowing through the trees and looking up at the stars. Suddenly, out of the corner of her eye, she noticed a shadow moving towards the forest. She only caught a glimpse of it for a second before it disappeared into the trees, but it seemed to be the shadow of a man. She dismissed it as a trick of the light and went back to the outdoor toilets. Myla knocked on the bathroom door and told her friend to hurry up. There was no answer. She opened the door and went inside, but all of the stalls were empty. Myla was a little offended because she assumed that her friend had gone back to the cabin without her. However, when she got back to the cabin, she found Lana's bed empty. She still hadn't returned and nobody knew where she was. The girls waited for an hour, but then they started to get worried. Milo woke their counselor and told them Lana had disappeared. The entire camp was roused out of bed and all of them went to look for the missing girl. The counselor went into the toilet with a flashlight and searched each stall, but there was no sign of Lana. On the floor, he happened to notice a playing card. It was the Jack of Hearts. The counselor spent all night looking for the missing girl, but she was nowhere to be found. Someone suggested that she might have run away from the camp. Her parents were called, and they were worried too. The next morning, when the girl still had not shown up, they called in the police, but they also failed to find her. The other kids were terrified by the girl's disappearance, and many of them wanted to go home. Some children called their parents and persuaded them to pick them up. The staff at the summer camp tried to calm everyone down. It was decided that after lights out, nobody could go to the toilet unless they were accompanied by an adult. The counselors wanted to make sure that the other children did not mysteriously disappear as well. That night, a girl named Aneska desperately needed to go to the toilet. She told one of the counselors. After a lot of grumbling, the counselor got out of bed and agreed to accompany her to the toilet. The girl opened the door and went in with the counselor, while the counselor waited for her outside. After a while, the counselor sensed something was wrong. 
He decided to check on Ineska, so he opened the door and peeked inside. To his astonishment, the toilet was empty, and the girl was gone. All he found was a playing card lying on the floor. Again, it was the Jack of Hearts. The police were called back to the camp, and when they arrived, they had a dog with them. And a policeman took a pair of Aneska's dirty underwear and held it out so the dog could sniff it and pick up her scent. The dog tracked her as far as the toilet, but it refused to go any further. It seemed to be afraid of something. All of the children called their parents and asked them to come and take them home. Mila managed to contact her parents, but they said they were busy and could not come. No matter how much she begged them to pick her up, it did no use. She was left to fend for herself. Most of the kids in the camp were taken home by their parents. By the end of the day, there were only seven children left: three boys, three girls, and Mila. Their parents had been unable to come, so all of them gathered in one cabin to spend the night. As a precaution, two of the counselors would also sleep in the cabin to watch over them. Nobody was allowed to go to the toilet outside. If any of them needed to use the bathroom, they would have to do it in a porcelain pot that was placed in the center of the room. They had to lift the lid, do their business, then put the lid back on so it didn't smell too bad. Ugh. That night, Mila lay awake in bed, shaking with fear. She was terrified that she would be the next to disappear, and she dreaded having to go to the toilet in front of everybody. Eventually, all of the children drifted off into an uneasy slumber. The next morning, when they woke up, there were two empty beds. Two of the girls had mysteriously gone missing. Their names were Lishka and Galina. On the floor lay two playing cards. Both of them were the Jack of Hearts. The police arrived and began interrogating the two counselors. After hours of questioning, they determined the counselors did not know anything. Another search of the area was conducted. But it proved fruitless. There was no trace of the missing children, and the police left empty-handed. One policeman decided to stay behind to protect the remaining kids. The only ones left now were three boys, a girl named Katka, and Mila. When they were going to bed, the policeman came into the cabin. And locked the door behind them. He put a chair in front of the door and sat down on it. He planned to stay awake all night to make sure nothing happened. 
He told the boys that they didn't need to worry. The kidnapper was only targeting girls. He said Mila and Kotko were the only ones who were in danger, and if the kidnapper came back, he would probably try to abduct them. The two girls started crying, but the policeman assured them that he would do everything in his power to make sure they were safe. In the middle of the night, Kotka needed to go to the toilet. The policeman told her to use the pot, but she refused and began to throw a tantrum. Eventually, the policeman gave in and agreed to escort her to the toilet. He didn't want to let Mila out of his sight, so he told her she would have to come with them. That she would have to come with them. He unlocked the door, slowly stuck his head out, and looked both ways. Everything seemed quiet. He told the boys to lock the door behind him and cautiously led the two girls towards the outdoor toilet. He kept looking in all directions, making sure nobody could sneak up on them. Eventually, they reached the toilet. Mila and Kotko were trembling. The policeman told them to wait at the door while he checked all of the stalls. He turned on his flashlight and took a look around. At first, everything seemed normal, but then he had a he heard a rustling noise, and he saw one of the stall doors slowly creaking open. <coughs> Suddenly, there was a loud hissing sound, and a shadow flew out of the stall. It was a man dressed in a dark red bodysuit and a mask. He caught hold of Katka by the hair and started to drag her away. Mila screamed. The policeman tried to protect the girls, but the shadow figure grabbed him by the neck and began to choke him. Gasping for air, the policeman ordered Mila to go back to the cabin and get help. The young girl ran as fast as she could, screaming and shouting. The camp counselors grabbed their flashlights and rushed out. The three boys in the cabin also came running to see if they could help. Mila pointed them towards the toilet. When they got to the outhouse, they saw the policeman lying on the ground. There was a strange man standing over him. His hands wrapped tightly around the policeman's neck. Kotka was lying unconscious on the ground beside him. The policeman struggled and managed to pull out his gun. He pulled the trigger and a bullet ripped through the man's shoulder. With a roar, the man let go of the police officer, grabbed Kotka's limp body, and took off running. The counselors pursued him, with the three boys and Mila close behind. The policeman stood up, took careful aim, and fired at the man, but he missed. Before he could get off another shot, the man had disappeared into the woods. Everyone started to look for the crazed kidnapper. They scoured the woods with their flashlights. 
Myla stayed close to the policeman. Tears were streaming down her face. All of a sudden, she happened to spot a trail of blood in the bushes. She pointed it out to the policeman, and he told her to stay quiet. Peering behind the bushes, he saw that there was a wooden hut, camouflaged by the leaves and undergrowth. He called the counselors, and together they approached the hut and slowly opened the door. When they saw what was inside, they were horrified and disgusted. The dead bodies of five young girls hung on the walls. They were naked and their heads dangled at odd angles. They had all been strangled to death and their necks were broken. Myla started crying. She recognized the girls. They were her friends, Lana, Aneska, Lishka, Galena, and Katka. The policeman immediately contacted his superiors on the radio and reported what he had found. As dawn approached, the woods were swarming with police officers. They searched and searched, but they never managed to track down the killer. The policeman called Mila's parents personally and shouted at them down the phone, demanding that they come and pick up their daughter. Mila was finally able to relax and breathed a sigh of relief. After this, the owners of the camp were forced to close down and the surviving children were sent home. In the end, the summer camp had to close down for good. A lot of money changed hands, and the owners had to pay compensation to the parents of the dead girls. The authorities tried to have the whole incident hushed up, but rumors began to spread, and pretty soon, it was being reported in the tabloid newspapers. The murderer was never caught. The papers gave him the nickname, The Jack of Hearts. And they say he is still out there in the woods, biding his time and waiting for more young girls to wander into his clutches. That was a good, creepy story. Some funny names used in that one, so I'm sorry if I stumbled a few times, but that still is a very creepy story and one that I did enjoy sharing. Speaking of camps and cabins, here's another creepy urban legend to share with you before we get through here. This one is called Dark Sleep. Samantha had two best friends named Jenny and Amber. Her father was taking her on a weekend vacation, and she invited them to come along. Her family owned a cabin in the woods, and on Friday evening, her father drove the girls up there. See that lake? asked Samantha when they arrived. 
that's Lake Samantha. My dad grew up here. He loved it so much he named it after me. That night, after they had unpacked their things, the three girls sat around and thought of ways to amuse themselves. I have one, said Jenny. It's a true story, too. It happened to a friend of mine. She was babysitting these two little kids one night. She's sitting in the dark by herself watching TV, and the phone rings. She goes over, answers it, and hears a voice on the other end breathing really heavy, saying, Have you checked on the children? Ah, Jenny, come on, Amber interrupted. Everybody's heard that one. That's the lamest scary story ever. Does anyone else have a story, one that's actually true? I know one, Samantha said. About ten minutes hike from here, there's an old broken down house. We passed it on the way up here. It's out in the middle of nowhere, tucked away off a narrow little side road. A long time ago, a man lived there. His family were really wealthy, and they owned hundreds of acres of land around here. This man met a simple country girl from a simple country town, and they fell in love. His family wasn't too happy about it. They didn't think the girl was good enough for him, but he ignored them. He was an independent type of guy, and he went off and built a little house on a chunk of their land out in the middle of nowhere. He married this girl, and everything was wonderful. They had a daughter, and eventually they had a son. This is where the story starts to go bad. Their son was sick. Not physically, but mentally. He was sick in the bed. He wasn't mentally disabled or anything. He was just a little off. By the time he was nine years old, he became too much for his parents to handle. Throwing temper tantrums, erratic sleeping patterns, disappearing into the woods and hiding. That kind of thing. Not knowing what to do about his son, the man turned to his family for help. His parents had the boy taken away. They sent him to a place deep in the woods. It wasn't an insane asylum, but it catered to people with special needs, if you know what I mean. His parents thought it was for the best. Over time, the family got used to not having him around. They gradually stopped visiting him. They functioned as if they had never had a son, and everything went back to being wonderful again. Eight years later, the boy, who was about 16 or 17 at the time, managed to escape from the hospital. The staff did a search, but he was nowhere to be found. His family was notified, and they were devastated. They were worried for his safety. He had been alone in the wilderness for weeks, and he was probably dead. But the boy wasn't dead. One night, he found his way back home. He crept into his house, and one by one, he slaughtered his entire family. His father, his mother, his sister, 
all of them chopped to pieces. With the blood still dripping from his axe, he disappeared into the woods. When the grisly remains of the family were discovered a few days later, the townsfolk in the surrounding area were horrified. The police tried to find the boy, but it was no use. To this day, he has never been found. Since then, every year, around harvest time, people have started to go missing, and in their place, a corn husk doll would be left behind. Legend has it, the boy still roams the woods around these parts. The surrounding towns have brought in bought into the legend and they hang dolls by their front door for protection. They say if the boy sees a doll hanging from the door of a house, he will pass that house by and leave the residence in peace. Nobody knows if it's true or not, but there's a doll hanging from the door of every house in town. That's so creepy, cried Jenny. Do you have a doll on your door? Of course, said Samantha. My dad says he doesn't believe the legend, but we hung one just in case. I think I just went in my underwear, said Amber, who was still shivering. Apparently the house is still haunted by the ghost of his murdered family, said Samantha, and if you go up there late at night, you can hear the whole thing take place all over again. Do you think we could go up there? asked Jenny. Sure, said Samantha, but tomorrow, during the daylight. There's no sense in tempting fate. That night the girls slept in the same room and huddled together, trying to pretend they weren't frightened by the story and expecting to hear something tapping at the window at any moment. The next morning, Samantha's father made them all a big breakfast, and they went down to the lake for a swim. Around noon, they decided to take the trip up to the old haunted house. When they got there, the girls sensed an eerie presence in the old dilapidated house. It was enough to make their skin crawl. They explored the ruins of the old house, peeking into corners and sifting through rubble. After a while, Samantha spotted something half-buried in the dirt. It was some sort of book. She dug it out and dusted it off. The girls gathered around as she opened it and began to flip through the yellowed pages. It's like a diary or something, said Samantha. Maybe it's his diary, Jenny whispered. Whose diary, asked Amber. The guy, said Jenny, the guy that killed his family. Samantha read the diary aloud as the others listened. There's a dedication inscribed inside the cover, she said. It reads, to my family, who I love and cherish and who will always be with me. September 5th, 1987. It has been hard alone. All they had to do was talk to me. They could not talk to me. I hear their voices late at night sometimes. I hear their screams. It is cold and dark. I needed love. They did not love me. 
The medicines are gone. I am free, free from all of them. If they could not love me, they had to go. Dark sleep for everyone. I hear their voices still, always screaming. December 4th, 1987. They have stopped looking for me. It is okay for me now. I live in the forest. I chase down the animals and put them in dark sleep. Just like mom, dad, and sis. I visit my old house at night and listen to the voices. At least they talk to me now. October 3rd, 1995. I left the forest years ago and moved to a small town nearby. Nobody recognizes me. No one knows who I am. I hear people telling my story sometimes. It makes me laugh inside. They all fear me. I still come to the forest sometimes and spend the nights in my old house. Mom and Dad still talk to me. They say they are very proud of me. November 2nd, 1998 Life has been good. I found a job, bought a house. I met a girl. She's very quiet and pretty. Sometimes I bring her to the forest. She likes it. I let mom and dad see her. They like her too. July 1st, 2000 Today is a great day. I have a baby now. I'm so happy mom and dad are grandparents now. My wife isn't doing so well, though. It was hard for her. She might not make it. Maybe she will go in dark sleep. I'm happy now. August 13th, 2010 I am so proud of my child. She is just like me except she is much smarter. She has no problems. She doesn't hear the voices. She goes to school and has lots of friends. Not like me. Sometimes I take her to the woods. I love her so much. I named her after the lake. Samantha. For a few moments after Samantha stopped reading, there was a stunned silence. What the heck? cried Jenny. Samantha, is this some sort of a joke? Amber asked nervously. It isn't funny. This this can't be true, Samantha whispered. It couldn't possibly be. Just then, they heard the sound of twigs snapping behind them. When they turned around, they saw Samantha's father standing there. There was a strange, pained look on his face, and he was holding an axe in his hands. You weren't supposed to find that, he muttered. There's no other way now. Dark sleep for everyone. No, Dad, Samantha screamed. No, no, no. When Samantha's father had finished chopping up the bodies, he put the pieces in large plastic bags and buried them down in the woods, deep. So deep that no one would ever find them. 
Now they could be together forever. I'll watch over you now, he mumbled, as he patted down the earth with his shovel. You may not understand now, but you will in time. This is the only way for us to be together. Dark sleep forever. We all stay together. Oh, that was a good one. I really like that one. I hope you enjoyed both of these creepy campfire stories. They're still good to share in the fall, and especially that last one with the creepy idea of the corn husk dolls and harvest. We're about to run into Thanksgiving, and I hope you have a good one. Have a nice, safe, happy holiday. If you have time, be sure to share some creepy stories with your family, because even the holidays are a good time to share those. Enjoy them. Pass them down. Don't let them die. Don't let them fall into a dark sleep. (laughs) Be sure again, check out my website, myhaunteddolls.com, and my books for sale out there. Until next time, until the next episode, be sure to remember, keep those lights on and those doors locked, but by all means, have a happy haunting. (laughs) 